Good morning. Today, we once again are learning alongside our church school and their curriculum on what it means to welcome all. This morning's gospel story is a parable that Jesus tells at a dinner party, about a dinner party. So sit back, imagine the smells of fresh cooked meal, or if you're like me and would prefer some nice baking chocolate chip cookies, the clanging of plates, the laughter of friends, and let this story sink in as though Jesus were telling it at a dinner with us. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm gonna try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the servant returned and reported this to his boss. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the host said to the servant, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Gracious God, we come together seeking to return to you. In this moment, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer, let the people say, Amen. If you notice that I'm talking a little bit funny today, it's because I recently had a palate expander put in. I told the confirmands that this would be their entertainment for the next few weeks or the next few months. Um, so feel free to laugh, but know that this is how I'm gonna sound for a while. We drop into this story, much like we drop into the sermon, in the middle of a scene. Some of this may be familiar to you if you were here the last weekend in August when David Rockwell gave a homily on this passage. Jesus is at a dinner party hosted by a very influential and important person. And he notices that many of the guests are vying for the seat of honor, jockeying for position. And he gives them some pretty direct instruction about humbling themselves in situations like this, explaining that the humbled will be exalted and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. 
And then to explain further, Jesus tells the parable that you just heard Aaron read, and our story and sermon begin. The parable begins by introducing a banquet host who was preparing a massive dinner party, but whose guests bailed at the last minute. Now, in an age when methods of preserving food were far more scarce, the host would have gone out of his way to make sure that there was just the right amount of food for his anticipated guests, as any leftovers would be wasted. So not only have the guests wasted the host's resources by bailing at the last minute, but the excuses they gave for their absence to a first century audience would have been easily seen as fibs, adding insult to injury. I need to test drive the five oxen that I've already bought. Buying a major piece of livestock and work equipment would never have happened without testing the animal before the purchase. Has anyone here bought a car sight unseen without test driving it or driving a car similar? I need to go check out a piece of land I recently purchased. Has anyone here ever rented an apartment or bought a house without at least looking at the Zillow listing? I just got married and I'm on my honeymoon. Now in small village life, marriages were a community-wide event. Everyone would have known about it, and no host would have invited someone to their banquet who they knew would still be amidst their newlywed celebrations. So whether these excuses were a casual disregard for kindness or intentionally flimsy excuses crafted with the intent to injure, the fact remains that the honored guests thought they had better places to be. And so the parable continues that the banquet host instructed his employees to go out and extend the invitation to all of the folks who were ignored the first time around. The widows, the orphans, the outcast, the disabled, the poor. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and the humble will be exalted. This concept that the first shall be last, the last shall be first, we often hear this. And it's often referred to by biblical scholars as the great reversal. We see it all over the place in Luke's gospel, especially beginning with the Magnificat that we studied during Advent. That's Mary's song where she sings about the rich being sent away empty and the hungry and humble being filled and exalted. Now, in fact, Luke's gospel is sometimes referred to as the social justice gospel because of just how much it emphasizes this great reversal. Another well-known instance happens in Luke's rendition of the Sermon on the Mount, which includes a section affectionately known by Bible nerds as the Woebetudes. It's like the Beatitudes, but it's the Woebetudes. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Do you hear that insistence of immediacy? Blessed, you, blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who are weeping now. Woe to you who are rich now. Luke's gospel often insists on the presence of God's kingdom here and now. 
In Luke's gospel, Jesus is even quoted saying that the kingdom of God is already among you. It is already here. We are living it. We are called to live it. And so in this parable, we hear the messenger call out, Come, for all things are now ready. You might recognize that phrase, Come, for all things are now ready, from our communion liturgy. It highlights the immediacy, the imminence of the abundance that God sets before us. We often think about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven as something that's far in the future, generations to come, maybe having something to do with that nebulous concept of the end times, which the fancy theological word for all of that is eschatology, things that have to do with the end times, the coming of the kingdom of God. And this parable probably speaks a little bit to that, but it's not just about eschatology. It's about right now. God's kingdom is already among you, Jesus says in Luke's gospel. Come, for all things are now ready. So how are we to live into God's kingdom, into that vision of the great reversal now? What does that look like? And the first and perhaps most obvious thought here is likely to see our story as parallel to that of the banquet host, to abandon our culture's prioritization of the wealthy, influential, and important, and enact that sort of radical welcome that the banquet host did, to try and replicate his dinner party in our own community. And that means subverting some of those cultural customs. The banquet host would traditionally be expected to invite people from whose presence he would benefit. People who would return the invitation one day, or people whose presence at the party would bring the host honor. These customs are still often entrenched in our day. How often do we see politicians courting the big money donors with things like special dinners, one-on-one -on -one meet and greets, and other things that get them influence? How often do we see churches or communities or clubs or other organizations extend their most extravagant, most robust hospitality to those who the organization would benefit the most from, either by their potential for donation money, their involvement in the goings-on of the organization or in ministry, or those who are already looking for church, those who are most likely to recognize and trust in the invitation that's given to them. It's easy to prioritize those invitations. On the other hand, when and where have we seen churches or organizations actively going out of their way to offer direct, in-your-face invitations to those whom no one would have expected to be included? I don't know if I've ever seen a city club or a country club create a dues structure that makes space for low-income neighbors to become members. I would love to see a university club make itself an explicit resource to local first-generation students by offering free meals to students meeting with professors or local alumni. Many churches, many churches do offer this kind of invitation. For example, St. Boniface Church in San Francisco opens its pews to homeless members of the community during the day 
for safe, sacred sleep. More locally, I'm curious who here has ever been to Common Cathedral? Who here has ever served communion at Common Cathedral? Gone out to offer everyone in the vicinity of the fountain in Boston Common communion, the passers-by, the folks who are congregants, the folks who are there to help serve. It's pretty in your face. When this happens, we are witnessing the church extending its own borders outward, rather than just inviting people into the predefined border, which often carries with it an implied necessity to assimilate. And I think that might be the bigger picture here, the bigger point here. How easy it is for the modern church to identify ourselves with the banquet host in this story and try to invite people in to our borders. When in fact, we are the guests. And guests don't get to dictate the guest list. The second and third string invitees in these stories are not the indirect objects of our charity that we try to bring in and assimilate into our community that is predefined, but our fellow tablemates who received the same invitation that we did, who we are called to see as our tablemates as we expand our borders outwards. As many of you know, we are a home to the Brookline Food Pantry. Have any folks here today ever had a volunteer shift there? or seen the lines wrapping around the block on distribution days. It may even feel mundane at this point to host a food pantry, but food pantries are still a radical act. And if you don't believe me, you can ask our staff. Each week, we get complaints about the client's presence on the sidewalk. I know we haven't fully gotten back into our pre-pandemic rhythm of quarterly church potlucks, although I hear there is a pancake dinner coming up. But I want you to imagine just for a moment that we had gotten back in that regular potluck rhythm. And that in the weeks leading up to a potluck, we distributed potluck invitations to the clients at the food pantry. Some may bring meals to share, some might not. That's already kind of how church potlucks go. If the food runs out, it runs out, and maybe that would be a day for a sermon on loaves and fish. You see, when we recognize our own hunger for the potluck, our own hunger for the banquet, that's when we start to transition from seeing ourselves as the banquet host to recognizing that we are fellow guests at God's banquet, sharing in community with our table mates. This is not an us, a them, this is a we are sitting around that table. We so easily get caught up in the way the world is, the jockeying for status, the overcommitting, the religion of capitalism that says that your produ productivity is the foundation of your worth, that says that the number of members in your church is a reflection of how well the church lives into the call of being beloved community? When we live in a zero-sum world where there's only enough for some, we can't help but try to work our way towards the haves in a desperate attempt to avoid becoming a have-not. God, the banquet host, reminds us that 
these resources are not ours to dole out with a sense of magnanimity. They are God's to pass along, and to pass along with as much joy and generosity and everydayness as we might pass along the gravy boat, or the peas, or mashed potatoes. Taking our seats as guests at the banquet and passing the abundance down the table starts to expand our idea of who the church is, of who our community is, and of where those resources belong. When our community is the wider community, it becomes a lot easier to share those resources into the wider community and to hold on to them less tightly. When we start to expand our understanding of church, community, and resources, God fills in the rest. At a staff retreat two weeks ago, we learned that in the Ethiopian Orthodox tradition, a church is only a church if it's surrounded by forest. To protect the delicate edge of forest trees from the grazing cattle, the church community came up with a solution to build short stone walls, because apparently cows don't like stepping over short walls, build short stone walls a little ways out from the edge of the forest. And they soon found that the forest would grow and expand to meet the walls. And so then the, the walls are moved outward again, and the forest continues to fill in the new space, and you start to see the reforestation of this community in this region. When we expand the boundaries of our church, God fills it in with vitality abundance, and that sort of wild holiness that we so often dream of. It's as if just at that forest edge, just beyond the wall, God is waiting for us with a message. Come, for all things are now ready. Amen. Amen.